Welcome to Funny as Tech, a podcast about our messy relationship with technology. Today, David and I talk with tech life expert Stephanie Humphrey about your digital footprint, teens, and social media. If you have any questions or comments regarding today's discussion, feel free to email us at info at funnyastech.com or tweet at us at the handle at funnyastech and we'll retweet you and try to answer your question. I'm your co-host and comedian, Joe Leonardo, and remotely is... Tech ethicist David Ryan Polgar, and together we are... Funny as Tech. So, Joe, uh, digital footprints, man, that, that's coming up a lot. Teens and technology and, and the responsibility for social media platforms. So I thought it'd be really cool if we we brought on uh, Stephanie Humphrey, who who we know, right? We know Steph. She's been great, yeah, she's great. Uh, because she's done a couple of our live shows. She's based in Philadelphia, but uh, does the the ride up uh, to New York to to do some mm-hmm. of these shows that we had uh, at the People's Improv Theater. So she's always been been great. She's she's an all star, right? She appears on Good Morning America and a bunch of other things. So she's constantly uh, in. Uh, the media spotlight, but uh, with this topic of, of digital footprints, I mean, this is this is a regular kind of recurring theme on on funniest tech. I mean, love to hear yeah. your your kind of opinions about it because I mean, here you are, right? As a, as a comedian, you're you're kind of building your your brand, so to speak. I mean, what what's been your own kind of experience with your your personal digital footprint? Well, um, I think I do it wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> To start us off, it's funny. I actually had a conversation on GroupMe with a couple uh, comedian friends. We have it going because everything obviously is stopped in the city in regards to comedy-wise. So we do like Zoom hangouts or we talk over GroupMe. Um, And I made one joke during a Zoom hangout that was tweeted by someone. Mm -hmm. And I jokingly said, I forget how we ended up talking about this, but I jokingly said, oh, I'm a different man on every social media platform I'm on. Like, I'm, I have a different personality yeah. depending on the social media platform. And it's funny thinking about it now. That's the wrong way to do it. You need to, like, synchronize everything, right? Uh, and thinking about your online footprint of, like, who you are. What are you presenting to the world? Because you have more consciousness uh on what you're displaying on social media than you do just kind of in a room talking to people at a party. Mm -hmm. What you are kind of comes out. Yes, you can put on a front and act like someone else, but normally you just kind of like are are who you are and they they see you for who you are. But on social media, you you have this mask you get to wear Mm -hmm. of this personality you get to curate and, and build. And it's a it's a fun thing thinking about how I do it differently on Instagram or on Twitter or on Facebook. It depends on the audience I'm speaking to because they're all different followers for the different platforms. Well, I mean, I I would be the same way though because I I think you you do have to altern you know alternate your personality a little bit because if you view it in that party kind of analogy that you're you're using. That means that the people who are populating the Twitter party versus like LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook are dramatically different, right? So if you're entering a party 
and uh, you know everybody is a certain type of personality, you you would probably adjust a little bit. I mean, a lot has been studied on that whole area that you're influenced by the the people that you see around you, right? So I think that's a it's a big part of that too. So uh, yeah, honestly, yeah. it's very true because I think of the Wendy's Twitter. <laughs> Do you follow Wendy's on Twitter? <laughs> I've I've seen some of the the media around uh, Wendy's Twitter account. Yeah, they're like sassy. Their yep. whole thing is they're they have like a sassy Twitter and they like clap back at Burger King or whatnot. It's very harmless and like silly, but it, it draws a lot of eyes to Wendy's. Yeah, uh, and I think that is like you're saying. That's reading the room. And uh, adjusting accordingly to the room you're in. That sassiness works on Twitter because you have a short amount of uh, uh, characters you can use. So articulated sassiness really gets a big response from Twitter. So Wendy's has an amazing PR team on Twitter and they say like, you know, sassy things like, well, we have square burger patties and I, I don't know. <laughs> but, but you get what I'm saying. Like, yeah. um uh, you know, they, they read the room well. I'm sure they're, when they advertise in AARP or whatnot, they're not being sassy Twitter Wendy's in the same they are when they're advertising for something else. They might dial it down a little bit for uh, for a different audience. But, you know, I'm curious then about your own kind of, uh, you know, brand uh, or, or footprint, digital footprint, if you will, because I know that there's another Joe Leonardo out there yes. who, who will appear uh, on... Uh, on Google searches, right? Uh, he's yeah, more my of a, mortal enemy is who you're speaking about. I, I am. So, so tell me, so tell me a little bit more about about him. Are you, do you feel like you have a an arch nemesis? I have an arch nemesis. He's a tango instructor. <laughs> His name is Joe Leonardo. I forget what city he's in. I want to say Philly as well. It takes two uh, to tango, but, but only wrong. one of the Joe Leonardos only can actually tango. <laughs> it's a movie I'm working on. It's a script where the two of us fight each other, and it's called Two to Tango. Uh, no, but uh, he's a uh, he. It's jokingly we have this little. I think I only think of the feud, but uh, we try to bump each other off Twitter. Who's winning more? Is it me for my website? Or him for his tango, uh, you know, classroom he's working on or his school he has. Uh, And then one day we friended each other on Facebook and we just started talking, being like, we meet Sir Joe. Like we're trying to like defeat each other off uh, Google. And I was like, hey, man, anytime you're in the New York, anytime you're in the city, we'll go and hang out. So it is friendly, but there's a piece of me that's like, I want to remove him from Google. We should so have him on this podcast, or maybe you don't want to give should. him the trap. No, I do. I want to confront him. Well, I got to tell I you. I hear his voice. You know, I, I've got this. And I don't like him because he's better looking than me. <laughs> he can dance. He's tall. He looks very athletic. Let me get something. Let me get one thing. I just want to get Google results. That's it. <laughs> that's that's You're all you... succeeding in actual life. Just let me have the internet. <laughs> I think I think that's I'm a... more heated about this than yeah, I yeah. have been about any topic we've talked about. But I... just let me have the virtual internet. You can have the real world. I <laughs> You know, I, I let's let's call it right now. That's going to be a future episode. It's called uh, Joe Leonardo versus Joe Leonardo. We're going to <laughs> see who is who is wittier? Because actually, what if we brought him on? And, and what if he's oh, like he's funnier than me? Oh my god! I, actually, I don't want it now. I don't want to do this. Now, that's a huge fear of mine. If this man comes on and just like charms the hell out of an audience, let's do a. Li- and honestly, if we do do it, we do it a live yeah. show. We bring him up. Uh, then after he does stand up, and then I try to tangle. Right, right. 
and the audience will rate which one is better. Oh my! And then he replaces you on Funniest Tech, and then it's like another Joe Leonardo. It's kind of like it's like when and the I'll Three teach, Stooges. I'll teach class. And you'll teach the class. It's like when the Three Stooges <laughs> did they trade one of the uh, I don't know like Shemps for Shemp or like there was some yeah. weird story where they, they like traded one of the Three Stooges. As What's if the Charlie Chaplin movie where he becomes Hitler? Oh, the, the Great, great dictator. dictator. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We'll do the Great Dictator. I think that's uh, yeah, that's a good way to to segue into our great discussion uh, yes. with with our our you know uh, friend collaborator Stephanie Humphrey about her her book coming out called "Don't Let Your Digital Footprint Kick You in the Butt." Very direct. We're going to ask her all about that. See how she's doing. See what. Uh, she thinks social media platforms should do, and then specifically for the teen audience, right? How how are they dealing with tech differently than uh, Joe and myself? So, mm. hey, we really appreciate everybody listening. So enjoy our conversation. Funny as tech. All right. Hey, uh, we've got Stephanie Humphrey. We're talking all about digital footprints. Uh, Steph, uh, welcome back to Funniest Tech. We have been fortunate to have you with some of our live shows in New York, but we haven't had the pleasure to do a two-on-one interview with uh, Joe and myself. So uh, welcome to Funniest Tech. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be back. So we hear a lot about uh, digital footprints. So tell us a little bit about the, the book you're working on. I know that it's, it's coming out in the, the coming weeks. And then yes. I think we want to kind of pepper you with a few questions because I know digital footprints, especially in the world of digital citizenship that, that I'm kind of heavily involved in, comes up frequently. And there's a lot of different nuanced uh, topics I think we can discuss. Absolutely. Well, it's just something that uh, I don't think people really pay enough attention to um, as it relates to their own digital footprint, because you're not really thinking about all of the things that that entails. So all of that electronically connected activity, in addition to social media, email, group chat, text messages, Google searches, like anything you're doing online, you know, gaming, Twitch feeds, Discord streams, all of that stuff. So it's just a, a matter of, of trying to have some more mindfulness around how you manage that digital footprint because it all informs your personal brand. So what do you think, uh, what do you think are some of the, the difficult uh, issues that, that a lot of teens are having with this? Because I know you do a lot of speaking to teens and it's a common media narrative that, hey, you know, here's, here's a post that, that somebody had and, and now they're not going to get into the college of their choice or, or now they're, they're not, uh, you know, they're, they're getting declined from a job offer. How do you think you, you balance some of the, the, the negative that, that seems to be going on with this with trying to be a little more proactive about uh, the digital footprint as opposed to, hey, be careful, Johnny, you're not going to get into college right. of your choice, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've never walked into an assembly or a classroom and told a student not to be on social media or not to be on the internet. That's, that's, I, I actually lead with the fact that that is not the conversation we're going to have here today because it's not realistic to expect them or any of us not to engage with the internet. It, it's there. It's, it's, it has a purpose. Um, but you know, you have to be, again, there has to be a mindfulness and an intentionality about how you engage with those platforms 
times. And that conversation starts to resonate when you have that discussion about personal brand. Because Mm -hmm. if I've been in one classroom or auditorium, I've been in a thousand of them. And when I ask students who here thinks they have a personal brand, invariably, like literally every single time I've done it, maybe three students raise their hands at first. So they haven't really even thought that far out. Um, they're just thinking, oh, this is a cute selfie or this might this meme is funny. And that really is the extent of um, sort of their consideration for mm-hmm. the things that they do online. So when you put it in perspective of personal brand and, and the idea that everything they do affects that and everything they post affects that, it, it changes the conversation completely. Wow. So can can uh, yeah. personal brands uh evolve? Absolutely. I feel like uh, it, like early on um you know people got in trouble for a lot of stuff they posted on, online and stuff like that. Uh and I feel like now there's a little more leeway with people's previous posts. I know uh people are getting canceled obviously for saying horrible things they've said mm-hmm. in the past, you know which it's, it's good that a, a lot of people's um, ignorances are coming to light. But uh, uh, I think younger generations are more forgiving. Yeah, and, and I think when you, stuff. when you think about that, I think, I think considerations being made for how old the person was when they posted, you know, this egregious yeah. stuff, what they've done since then, how they've spoken out against, you know, whatever issue or cause. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, redemption is possible, but mm-hmm. you have to actually own what you did and what you said and how you made mm-hmm. someone feel. And then you have to show that the behavior has changed and, and that your mindset has improved and, and it's going to take some time, but I think you can actually sort of, you know, fix your brand, your personal brand for all intents and purposes. Yeah. So, uh, Stephanie, there's, there's always a lot of discussion around how somebody's environment influences how they they might interact. So, for example, if I walk into, uh, let's say, a university and everybody everybody is, is dressed in, into suits, I might find myself, uh, you know, sitting up straighter. I, I will probably change my speech patterns because mm-hmm. we, we tend to mimic our, <laughs> our surroundings and we tend to get influenced by the, the people and the, the s- signals that we see. So w- with that said, what do you think social media platforms can can do a little differently? Because I see this as a kind of a multi-layered issue because on one hand, we can talk about you know going out and uh, telling teens to interact differently online. But I imagine it's also the, the, the reverse of it to say, what can platforms do to ensure that people are interacting better on, on their platforms as well? Right, right. Well, I think the first thing is just to enforce their own policies. You know, right now, uh, some of the things that are being posted by our president and, and, and mm-hmm. others violate, directly violate some of those social media platforms' written policies. But, yep. you know, they feel like because this person is who they are, that, you know, the public has a right to know what they, how they think and what they say, and there's a there's a vested interest in it. And, and I don't think that's necessarily true, especially when the, when 
when the speech is 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 hate filled and 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 incorrect and and false and filled with misinformation. I, I think there is a responsibility for these platforms to you know police that speech and and just follow your own policy. If we could mm-hmm. just start there, we might eliminate a lot of the things that uh, that we see that are problematic, and we might give kids a, an example to follow. Hmm. You know what's interesting? I feel like uh, the platform, like going off what you're saying, the platforms kind of influence the brand that's created. Since a lot of Twitter and, and Facebook, uh, uh, things that are shocking get more interaction mm-hmm. uh, and get more eyeballs on them. Um, you mentioned Donald Trump and his brand is very uh, corrosive and, and very aggressive. And that works for Twitter. Right. Because it, it drives retweets and people look at it, people respond to it, people talk about it on the 24-hour news. So his brand is actually successful with the platform he's using, even though it's very divisive and, and, and not productive at all. But he's succeeded to become president in part because of his brand and Twitter usage. Um, I wonder what platforms could do to combat that. It's a shame because I don't I don't think that there's anything that they necessarily care to do. I think we give platforms too much credit for being, you know, responsible digital citizens themselves. And and at the end of the day, uh, Twitter's a business. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's not a media company necessarily. It's a business, it's an advertising company. And you know, you they make money when they generate ad revenue, same as Facebook. So you know, the idea that 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 they should that they have these standards of conduct that are are elevated beyond you know what the average person is doing is is probably something that we need to rid ourselves of um, and and I don't know that there's that there's a thing that that they even care to do while while the money's coming in. Well, I mean that's that's a you know a, a hot topic that uh, we've, we've talked about a few times on this uh, on, on this podcast really about section 230 the communications decency mm-hmm. act of, of 1996 but also how uh we have to decide is one is social media truly a public square a public square has a lot of transparency around it so for example if you're talking about people being treated equally that's something that we have in our public square inside of let's say how we treat it legally in the united states because uh, under first amendment you're not supposed to treat people in an arbitrary and capricious fashion so it seems like uh users if you will from a platform standpoint they view community guidelines and terms of service akin to the laws. So is that how you, you're seeing it with uh, with your interactions with, uh, with a younger audience? Like how do they view Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok? Like when, when they view the interactions they're having with the platform, what do, you, what do you think they think of social media as? What kind of company? What kind of, uh, you know, do they view it as a media company? Do they view it as like a, a governmental body? I'm curious of, of how you think they, uh, they view of these, these companies. That's a great question. That's a great question. And that's a conversation I'll need to have with, with the next group of kids I talk to. But it, it do, I don't get the sense that they're even thinking in 
in those layers, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they know that these companies are here to make money. I think they they do have some sense of how their data is being used, not to the level of you know the fact that it, it's basically currency at this point, but I think they do sort of understand that that they have to give up a certain level of privacy to use these platforms, and and their data will be be used for advertising and things like that. But I don't know that 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 conversation is being had enough around Mm -hmm. what is the platform's responsibility, you know, to the user to provide, um, you know, safe, truthful, uh, correct information, you know, to, to the people that use the platform. So that's a, that's a great question. Great conversation to have. Well, you got to tell these kids to listen to Funniest Tech more. I don't know. Seriously. What they're, they're, they're spending too much. The kids. They're, they're spending too much time making videos and not enough time listening to our podcast. But yeah, go ahead, Joe. I, I will say this. I, 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 there is a hope. And like you mentioned, Stephanie, I do feel like Gen Z especially mm-hmm. has a more healthy relationship with social media, even though they probably use it more, uh, especially with TikTok and, and uh, Instagram and stuff like that. Not as much for Facebook, but for TikTok, Instagram. Right. Um, but they understand it. There's, there's, They know it's a very clear relationship. Like, I understand what you want from me, and I understand what I can get from you. And Absolutely. I feel like older generations don't have that understanding. And, and there's a great, there's a, there's a hope in there. Yeah, they do. They get it. They, 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 you know, they get that, you know, you're going to take this, this information, but if it makes me an influencer, so be it. Um, however, what I, what I don't think they understand yet still is everybody else on the platform, you know, they get it, but everybody else doesn't. So, so when something they do happens to go viral or, or when they are thrust in, in a spotlight for something that they posted, they're not, and I don't think anybody's prepared to deal with that backlash yeah. but but I think they fall into the same trap as everyone else thinking that you know the things that they're doing aren't that big a deal because it's just social media and, it, and it's mm. not that big a deal to them but it can become a huge deal depending on the type of content that you're posting so just having that understanding of what might happen if this goes out there is is still something that I think you know young people struggle with even now. Well, do you think there needs to be more education even around um, the importance of an algorithm? Because I think that's that's something I'm particularly interested in is that we, we tend to visualize social media as a public square. But I always point out that's completely and utterly absolutely not the way that it <laughs> operates behind the scenes. Because at the end of the day, uh, if you had a physical public square, you can have 100 people enter a public square and maybe some people, they stand on a, you know, a, they stand on a table and they're, and they're louder or they use a, a speakerphone, right? Or a megaphone or something. So they're, they're louder. And you, but we understand it as 100 voices. Uh, maybe some are louder. Some, some, you know, you get an audience. But that's not exactly how a major platform works because since you have millions or billions potentially of voices, Voices, it has to be heavily curated by an algorithm that's trying to determine what voices you even want to hear, which which frankly means that sometimes you have marginalized voices that are actually being downplayed on social media platforms because it's not really uh, appeasing uh, the algorithm, if if you will. Do you, what's your sense, though, of our understanding as a, as a culture with this or specifically with uh, some of the audience that you tend to interact with the most? 
I think younger people do understand that quite well. If you if you're looking if you've looked at TikTok lately, a lot of that conversation, especially from people of color, TikToker yeah. TikTokers of color, has been around. You know, hey, did you see did it, did this come up on your for you page? Yeah. Why is TikTok doing this? Why you know there's there's a there's quite a bit of conversation around how they how they you know execute their algorithm and yes. and and how might I be able to sort of game that system? I don't think anybody else understands that as well um i don't think anybody cares that much to be perfectly honest um every now and again you'll see you know that person on facebook post that that same thing talking about i want to see how who my followers really are you know type hello in the comments or something like that um to try to sort of game the system but but i think by and large most people uh don't understand well enough how they're being fed the mm. information that the platform wants them to see. So definitely more education is needed around that. Well, I think an analogy that that the average person can understand is you know that you only go to the first page of Google. So if, if all of a sudden content is on the 12th page of Google, it's as if it doesn't exist. That's right. right. It's, it, it's, not, it's not like it doesn't exist. It does exist, but nobody's going that far. So the same thing, uh, and I say this too uh, with my role uh, as advisor for TikTok's Content Moderation Council, uh, is that uh, if you're not on the For You page, then it's as if you're not on TikTok, right? You don't like, exist, it, it's, exactly. It's so, it's so important to, to be in that curated feed. And then tell us a, a little bit about what you're seeing from a younger audience around influencer culture. I know I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, Joe, right? I was, I was talking about these TikTok houses, which I think for for an adult audience might really be a head scratcher. But uh, I mean, for me, it's a big thing. when I it's scroll through the For You page, it's all just teens with massive houses with huge pools and they jump into <laughs> and they recreate the Avengers assembling. But Joe, their, so al their algorithm is based on your previous your, pre knows your previous I really want to go swimming right now. <laughs> it's it's interesting. I've always wondered about TikTok in general mm. just because it it just doesn't seem sort of organically realistic that you could post something and immediately have 50 million followers the next day. I mean, it, it literally yeah. seems like that's how some of the users there are, are, are exploding in popularity um, exponentially over the, over a very short course of time. So I would be very curious to look at that platform specifically and especially because it is creating these influencers out of people who who may or may not have even wanted that for themselves and mm -hmm. and again are prepared to deal with what comes with that um and 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 it's all because of of however they see fit to to you know show you their their content yeah well i mean it's a it's a tricky world right because on one hand we want better understanding of uh, this algorithmic decision-making, but given the value of influencer culture or just brands mm -hmm. that are trying to, to get uh, more play on social media, uh, a, a platform like TikTok and others, they, they are very, uh, they're very careful about any of their algorithmic um, transparency in the sense that they don't want people to game the system. I'll give you a quick example. A couple of years ago, there was this ridiculous example on Google where this guy realized that he could be the biggest jerk to people about his uh, eyeglass company. So people would say, hey, you didn't give me your eyeglasses or give me a refund. And he would actually send them a picture of their house and say, hey, I'm going to send you like a potential 
death threat and uh, you're not going to get a dime from me and screw you. And, oh my and you would, no, it, it's, it's crazy, crazy example. And you would think that that guy would have been downgraded. But what he had realized as an evil kind of genius at the time, uh, he since has been arrested. But what he realized at the time was all of this negative chatter going on about him was feeding Google's algorithm to make sure that he was one of the top search results. Yeah. So even though all these people were saying this guy is 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 a, a terrible human being, he was making a ton of money. His down his downplay, uh, or sorry, his his uh, his downfall actually led because for whatever reason he did a New York Times uh, expose report and and then enough politicians, <laughs> enough politicians and Google had said uh, this seems like a bad idea. So likewise, yeah. I think I think companies are constantly retweaking. Uh, some of their their algorithms, but I want to get back to to some of your your great work. Again, we've been uh, really kind of appreciative of you coming up from from Philly for some of our live shows that we have in New York. Always a good time. Kind of miss that right now. With I with know, can't wait on. till we can get back. We'll get back. We'll have you on stage. Uh, where we all can have a beer in our hand and, and talk about this stuff. I think we all need a, a beer right now. But uh, your book coming out, right? Uh, don't let your digital footprint kick you in the butt. So I like how you're you're right. You're you didn't pull around with the title. You didn't you didn't call it's it like uh, yeah. It's very direct. It's very. Listen, so, how how did you come up with that? No need to sugarcoat it. You know, it's yeah. just like it's like don't don't get caught out there. You know, I wanted I wanted something sort of you know impactful. I, I for for whatever reason I'm not sure what I was thinking of subconsciously or, or unconsciously or whatever. I didn't want to call it till death do you tweet. That's okay. that's my seminar, my workshop <laughs> that I do for people, and I just didn't want to call it that for for whatever reason that is not known to my to my consciousness right now. Um, <laughs> so I I it, it was just one of those things where it was like you know it's it's straight it's to the point it kind of you you know exactly what you're going to get if you if you pick it up and 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 it and it gives you that sort of immediate understanding of of the content inside so i'm interested though since you have all this great experience with with a a, a younger audience and this is important i say this too because since i i deal sometimes with, with some of these social media companies one of the things that i'm always very cognizant of is the fact that i am not a teenager right i'm not being struck by lightning and then switching like a body like like an 80s movie right uh into a teenager so like as much as i try to 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 say, how does a 17-year-old think? I'm not a 17-year-old, right? I'm still dramatically influenced by my uh, my upbringing and, and, and how I was raised, right? So I'm curious of, of how you see the youngest generation uh, or maybe like a 15, 16, 17-year-old audience. How do, you, how do you see them differently with their youth than you? How, what, what are some of the differences? I think, you know, this social media and these these digital platforms are their primary communication tool. Um, you know, they 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 speak in these in these formats, if you will. So, mm -hmm. you know, instead of texting back and forth, they might send snaps back and forth. And that's an actual form of communication for them. That's keeping them connected to to their friends, especially during this time. You know, that's keeping them connected to their friends and family, you know, around uh, around the country, around the world. 
world. So, you know, I don't necessarily do that. If I want to speak to somebody, I may text them, but you know, I most likely pick up the phone and just, and just call them and have that conversation. So, so the idea that, that this is more than just, yes, they're, you know, being really silly and, and posting memes and, and things like that. But, but this is also sort of a lifeline, um, if you will, for them as well, that, that connects them to their entire community. So I think as, as we're thinking about these things and, and thinking about trying to, how do we get kids to be more resilient? And you, you have to understand that, you know, you know, while some of the things they do on it seem frivolous, mm-hmm. they also take it very seriously as well. So it, it's, it's trying to help them maintain that balance of, 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 um, you know, keeping the communication open with their community, yep. but also making sure that they're not doing things that are, that are going to affect, you know, their digital footprint. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that with the teen audience viewing this as a, a lifeline. So uh, let's, and you mentioned like, uh, hey, you might get on the, the phone with, uh, with your friends or maybe there was an issue or especially right now, uh, everything going on, you might say, hey, I want to check in with this person. Whereas you have now a, a younger audience who's viewing that through social media as a conduit mm-hmm. for that, that connection. But at the same time, uh, everything dealing with digital footprint or, or how people interact online or content moderation, you oftentimes have decisions that are being made of, of blocking people or maybe even uh, uh, banning them from, from a platform. So what do you think is going to happen in that area? Because I think sometimes people don't realize how serious that is because on, on one hand, you, you can say, okay, well, if, if this person is interacting a certain way, maybe let's just ban them off the platform, right? Or let's just like take them off or, or send them a warning or something. But imagine if you were, if, if the phone company cut off your phone service, so you say, well, my God, that, that's my, that's my conduit to connect with other people. So right. I'm curious of, uh, of what you're seeing from a, a younger audience, because I say this from, from firsthand experience. So, you know, I, I know for, even from my role with TikTok, I, I get a lot of angry uh, LinkedIn messages. I'm not sure. I mean, they just blanket <laughs> people. They're like, who's connected with this company? And I get messages where people say, hey, I was I was banned from this. And what happened? And, and maybe this is an incorrect decision. And, you know, it's I don't ha- I'm not in that type of type of role. But uh but I, but I can hear the desperation in their voice. And, and right. what I take from it is like people are like, well, wait a minute. There is a lot of power in this decision. And I think sometimes we don't realize, realize uh, that the power in that. It's like all of these these seemingly academic decisions that are they're being made in a detached fashion are, are truly impacting people's ability to communicate with one another. So I'm curious what you see as potential changes for this, right? Because you know Absolutely. that the status quo is no good. It is. It 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 becomes a, a a personal rejection of sorts sometimes. You know when that happens, and and then you may be removing um, the the ability for someone to to reach out and be understood that that might be having suicidal thoughts or yep. or something like that. So um, I think platforms. It, it's it's just such a such a delicate dance because because the because of the volume you know there's yeah. you have to account for millions and millions of different voices and and try to you know come up with one set of standards that's gonna apply across millions of users on a platform so I mean I don't envy you know the TikToks and the Twitters of the mm-hmm. world because I, I just don't know how they're going to be able to do it I don't I don't know that it can be done maybe yeah. as as you know we we 
you know, start adding even more AI into the process, the, the systems can get a little bit smarter and, and be able to sort of figure out you know, context around a lot of things that go back and forth across the web. But, um, but that's gonna, that's what we need. That's, that's going to be the yeah. only way that, that we really solve that problem is, is once we can actually figure out context, but, but, how, but that's like saying, how do you read somebody's mind? You know? Right. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, and in the end, Stephanie, like you mentioned, they're private companies. Yeah. So, you know, if they, they've uh, amassed this power and that's the company grew so big and it's up to us as the public to be like, OK, do we want are we OK with them having this amount of power and they can remove someone's voice and add someone's voice? And as of right now, we're, we're fine with giving these private companies, very big private companies, uh, <laughs> this much sway mm-hmm. and. And uh, this, uh, uh, you know, they can elevate a voice or they can remove a person entirely. And that's, I guess that's just on us as people to but it also, ask ourselves what's it, it, okay and not. And Joe, we, we did a show with uh, Mozilla one time, right, in New York. And I bring that up because Mozilla is a different business model. And I point that out because a lot of times people assume that what is being done today is what needs to be done tomorrow. And that's completely not true. So it's not out of the realm of of political possibility to say that you could create a different business model for social media companies. So, so for example, Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So for example, with Mozilla, it's actually the Mozilla foundation that operates as the shareholder that mm-hmm. tries to make decisions that are in the best interest of individuals and society at large, which controls the underlying Mozilla company that owns Firefox. Right. Yes, so, and they run as a yeah. nonprofit too. Correct. Yeah. Right. So it's the nonprofit that owns the, that, that makes the decisions for the for-profit yeah. wing. So it's a, it's a hybrid of a for-profit, profit and nonprofit. So I remember uh, in 2016 doing an event at, at uh, Twitter headquarters for the Digital Citizenship Summit that I uh, co-founded. And uh, a lot of the discussions then were, because don't forget, Twitter was actually having financial troubles then, right? Disney was looking into buying them and they decided not to because of the toxic behavior. But anyways, some of the conversation that was happening in 2016 was maybe Twitter should actually be a uh, nonprofit, or you have a nonprofit board that makes the uh, societal decisions, right? Because I, you know, I, I would not be surprised if ten years down the road we have more of these hybrid models, just because there seems to be that um, problem of of incentives. But uh, Stephanie, we like to leave, leave things on a uh, positive, positive. <laughs> or at least we uh, try. So, at least we try. Can I just can I just say one thing though? To oh, that? please, yes, um, yes, to, yeah, yeah. Like, of as, as, as maybe a, as as another alternate to think about. Um, mm-hmm. Angela Benton is a uh, founder in the Valley right now that is working on a company called Streamlytics, which is aggregating massive amounts of data and figuring out how to get people paid for their data. And mm-hmm. I think if we if we see platforms going in that direction then 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 capitalism takes over and sort of forces the the content to to be something not so objectionable because now when you're when you're actually paying for for data and and you know right now the the advertisers are just paying for the eyeballs Mm -hmm. they don't care what the content is but when when you actually have to consider the content you know coca-cola and and pepsi aren't going to put their name to something that they know for certain is objectionable because they know that particular individual user and and the type of things that they post so so i i see that model also maybe um 
coming into into play at some point and and and, and capitalism doing what it does best well i know that's uh that's a position that andrew yang recently uh, took i know he he just launched something as well kind of connected with that of getting paid mm-hmm. for your your data a lot of interesting topics maybe that's a, a future podcast uh episode that we can do on funniest tech so stephanie with your your book uh for the final question with your book coming out in august so everybody check that out we'll put that yes in the, please the show notes <laughs> as well could you uh what's uh, what's the website where people should should uh find out more information about you you can go to tilldeathdoyoutweet.com. The pre-order link is there and uh, everything else you need to know about the seminar and the workshop is there as well. Awesome. So, so Stephanie, with your book, uh, Don't Let Your Digital Footprint Kick You in the Butt, uh, what are you hoping that uh, the main change is? What, what are you hoping that, that uh, the, the, the teens that are going to read it and, and parents and educators, what are you hoping is the, the shift that you are, are causing? I'm hoping we see a little bit nicer internet. Um, I think when you understand how the things that you post inform your digital footprint and then become a part of your personal brand, it changes what you post. It changes how you interact. It changes, mm-hmm. um, again, it, it creates that sense of mindfulness around um, um, around your, your content. Even if you're disagreeing with somebody, you can disagree in a way that is not going to you know, denigrate them or call them names or, or dox them because they don't mm-hmm. share your same opinion. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just hoping... It, it makes the internet a little bit nicer place for everybody. Well, Stephanie Humphrey, you have made the internet a, uh, a better and brighter place. <laughs> and also oh. the, uh, the, the, the comedy. You succeeded. And you have succeeded. Yes. Yeah. Let's, let's declare, let's declare victory. But no, again, uh, you know, we, we definitely appreciate you coming on the show today and then all of the, the live shows you have uh, done as well. Absolutely. It's, it's always a pleasure. That's it. Thanks for listening to the Funniest Heck Podcast. New episodes are released Mondays. Feel free to email us at info at funniesttech.com or tweet at us at the handle at funniestech. Please rate and review us on iTunes and Google Play. That really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the handle at funniestech. And for more information, go to www.funniestech.com. Funniest Tech.